This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Hello, I'm Fred Sievert, the former president of New York Life Insurance Company. I've had the pleasure of being on Dr. Karen's show twice now. This show in particular, we're going to talk about my retirement years. I've been retired for 14 years, and I talk about how I've become healthier, happier, and younger than ever in retirement. And I've told a lot of interesting experiences and stories that I think you'll benefit from in this episode. So thanks for listening. Today, we are doing a part two version of an interview with my special guest, Fred Sievert. If you haven't heard part one, please go back and listen to part one. Today, we're gonna be doing part two. And so I have a few questions for you. What's next after a successful career as a Fortune 100 corporate executive? How does a deeply held Christian faith inform life after the corporation? So today in this part two episode, my special guest will talk about his leadership legacy and the value he continues to bring to others in retirement. So Fred Sievert started his career as a teacher, later entered the insurance business and retired in 2007 as president of New York Life Insurance Company, a Fortune 100 corporation. Following his retirement at age 59, Fred attended Yale Divinity School and in 2011 was awarded a master's degree. The author of three books. In 2014, Fred published his first book about his many personal encounters with God, titled God Revealed, Revisit Your Past to Enrich Your Future. In 2018, he published his second book, Grace Revealed, Finding God's Strength in Any Crisis, containing stories about people he's known who were in crisis and only found comfort and relief through their faith. In his career, Fred enjoyed many successes and also faced stress, challenges, and serious setbacks. Through it all, he credits his success to a reliance on daily prayer, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and his relationship with Jesus Christ. In addition to remaining active throughout his career in industry activities, Fred also regularly participated in civic and volunteer activities in his local community and church. He and his wife, Sue, have five grown children and five grandchildren. So Fred, thank you for being here today for part two, where we're going to talk about life after the corporation, life after being president of New York Life. And so thanks again. Well, thank you, Dr. Karen. It's a pleasure to be be back. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Me too. I really am. Let me just launch right in because I want to say, first of all, it's very unusual for a Fortune 100 corporate president to retire early to attend divinity school. So that already makes you unique. So what inspired you to retire 
at the age of 59 and then to go to Yale Divinity School. What did you study and why? I recognize it's unusual, but <laughs> one of the most wonderful things about when I retired was that we had several uh, retirement parties because the company was in 12 countries. And what, what was really terrific is when the CEO of the company introduced me and talked about my, my career, and he mentioned going to divinity school, no one was surprised. No one you know, wondered why I would do such a thing because they knew about my faith throughout the, my career. And the, the, the reason I decided to do that was really, I had worked long and hard for many years. I was active in my church for all those years, but I really felt since I was raised in a family that wasn't a worshiping Christian family to, per se, you know, I felt like my spiritual education and development was somewhat deficient, even though I had, you know, been faithful for a number of years. And I really had kind of this lifelong dream of, of retiring early and going to divinity school. It, it was something I really wanted to do. So I prepared for that. I made sure I had succession in order at New York Life, and I applied to Yale Divinity School. And a uh, funny story is my first day of school at age 59, I was leaving uh, my house in Connecticut to, to go off to Yale in New Haven, Connecticut. And my oldest daughter was visiting with her daughter and they were in the living room. And as I walked out the front door, heading off to my first day at school, my daughter yells out to me, dad, play nice with the other kids and don't forget to share. Well, you know, that was funny at the time, but it actually was quite profound because that whole experience at Yale was really about spiritual sharing and talking about my faith, talking to others about their faith. Yale's a pretty liberal place, both theologically and politically, and I was probably a little more conservative than that, but it didn't matter. It was a wonderful experience. I, and I, you know, I felt like they embraced me there. I had a great uh, interaction with the other students and the faculty and even the administration. So it really was a great, great experience. And how many people say to themselves, I'm happy right now? I said that every single day that I was in school at Yale. I, I really was happy where I was. And when you're following God's calling, you can't help but be happy. And that's, that's exactly how I felt then and how I feel now. I love that. You're talking about th this next step. It certainly made sense to everyone who knew you. They weren't surprised. You were still following God's calling on this part of your path. And it doesn't sound like you were planning to go to Yale Divinity School to become a pastor. You were actually enriching the life that you were already living, if I'm hearing you accurately. Yeah, that's correct. And I, I pretty much decided early on, uh, you know, I took a comprehensive approach to the master's degree. It took me four years to get through a two-year program because I was doing a lot of other things. I was on some boards of mentoring young executives and so forth. But I decided up front, I probably would not uh, attempt to get ordained, even though I took most of that coursework. Uh, and I really was following my passion, which was to impact other people's lives by speaking not only about my faith, but also my business experience. And that's what ultimately led to the writing of the books, because I felt that was a good avenue for speaking and writing about my faith. 
And it's proven to be a real blessing with a, with a lot of providential experiences along the way. You know, the Holy Spirit has been guiding me in, in everything I've been doing since retirement. I wrote an article in 2013 for the Wealth Channel magazine. They asked me to write an article about retirement planning. And I wrote the article, but they were expecting me to talk about financial planning for retirement. What else would a New York Life president talk about? And instead, I talked more about following your passion and using your spiritual gifts. And, and the title of the article was Happier, Healthier, and Younger in Retirement, because that's exactly how I felt five years ago. That's exactly how I feel today. Younger in retirement. You know, that's not... How would I say when you're following your passion, it's fuel, it's energy, it's rejuvenating. And so that's really what you're talking about. And so, of course, you still look great. Anybody who's watching now, they can see that. And it's in your countenance, it's in your voice. So that's phenomenal. Let me dial back again to when you were at Yale Divinity School, 59 years old. What was easy for you? What was difficult about being there at that age? And any regrets that you might even have about going to divinity school at that time? When I went to Yale Divinity School, I was not the oldest person at the school. In fact, something like 25% of the people, of the students at Yale Divinity School were older than age 45. Many of them, you know, doing what I was doing, thinking about a second career, getting into a ministry of some sort. And so I felt very comfortable there. The difficulty was, since I hadn't grown up in a kind of a worshiping Christian family, I didn't have all the experiences that a young child would have. And theology, in particular, um, is, is almost like a foreign language. If you read some of the really heavy-duty theological texts, you know, I had to have a dictionary handy, and I refer to it you know, five times on each page as I was reading Bart or Rahner or Tillich. I mean, it was not easy for me, but, you know, I was energized by that. I mean, I really felt like I was learning something new, and I really felt quite energized. Uh, the, the, the concentration that I liked the most were the courses I took on uh, history, uh, history of religion and, and develop, faithful development. The history is very rich, not only in Europe, but in the United States. I mean, it's amazing if you read the stories of Jonathan Edwards or Henry Whitfield, you know, preachers and ministers of that period way back in the middle of the 18th century, you know, 1750s. I mean, it, people are the same today as they were back then in many ways. I mean, the culture has changed, obviously. <laughs> But, you know, people were the same. They were dealing with all the same issues. And these ministers were out there preaching to large crowds. Henry Whitfield would speak to 20,000 people in an outdoor forum. I mean, it's just, it's really remarkable to think of how religion has developed over the course of the last three centuries or four centuries. So that was very interesting to me and very engaging. And I still, I still try to read more about the, those experiences. But it was a great, great experience. I loved every minute of it. And I'm now on the Yale Center for Faith and Culture Board, advisory board. So I'm staying close to Yale and, and very much involved with them as they reach out to the, uh, to the communities and the world, really. That's phenomenal. So I'm, what I'm hearing partly in your story is that it's energizing to continue the learning. And so 
we can share with people that retirement doesn't mean that you're sitting idly on the porch in a rocking chair, not learning anything new. You were learning a whole new language of theology and figuring out how to apply these lessons from his history and historical characters even to your life today. So there was nothing boring about it. It's very energizing in that sense. So let's talk a little bit about, I'm going to call it your, your legacy in a sense in a variety of different ways. Thinking back, for example, to New York life, what is the leadership legacy that you left for the company? How's the company better off because you were there? How are the people better off because you were there? Well, I tell people, even though the company did extremely well when I was there, not just attributable to me, but to a whole team of people, um, the company did extremely well. They were number one in life insurance sales in the U.S. for 10 or 11 years in a row. And there are probably still a thousand life insurance companies in the U.S. But, you know, I think my real legacy was speaking about my faith talking about my family experiences, the fact that I took each one of my five kids on a trip with me once a year, one-on-one, -on -one, just the two of us for a weekend or longer. Uh, that, that really was kind of my legacy because so many people, we had 65,000 agents and employees and I often spoke to large groups and I always told stories about those trips with the kids and how wonderful the bonding experience was. And even today, I retired 14 years ago. And even today, I get emails, texts, letters from people who say, thank you so much for sharing those experiences because I adopted the same practice with my own kids and it's been a wonderful bonding experience for us. That to me was the more important legacy than how well the company did, although it was important that the company did well. I think that's pretty powerful because the financial results were there, so you had that credibility. They knew that whatever you were doing, it was working, and you did even more than that. You really made deposits into their lives as parents, as spouses, as people on the planet, so that they're, they're really becoming a better version of themselves every day. And you were modeling that in your own life and kind of like blazing the trail so they could almost follow in those same footsteps and many have come back to tell you, yes, we're doing those special trips with our children too, because yeah. we see the value of it. We see the importance of it. That is a legacy. That's a very important legacy. The other thing that you'll find interesting, and there are a lot of providential experiences since uh, retiring and writing the books, but a couple of things that happened during this third book that I've written, Fast Starting a Career Consequence, is... Uh, some of the people at New York Life heard about the book. And, you know, like I said, I retired 14 years ago. And the book just got published two months ago. They got a, a managing partner who ran one of the biggest sales offices at New York Life in Dallas, got a hold of me and he said, Fred, I'd like you to speak to my agents. And, and he's a strong Christian. And I said, well, do you want me to talk about my book? And, I, and he said, yeah, of course. And, you know, this is a secular organization, right? <laughs> But they remembered me, and it was, it was fine to talk about my book. So I spent an hour on the phone or on a Zoom call with 300 New York Life agents and talked about my books and also talked about my experiences at New York Life. So I combined the two in that presentation. Then this same person had a study group of people like him in different offices around the country, 
and he had me speak briefly to that uh, his study group of 15 people, and 13 of them set me up for the same kind of uh, presentation. In each case, they purchased 50 or 100 books for their, their offices. And then what's even more remarkable, I thought, and providential as well, is I'm on another board that's also a secular insurance company. I've been on that board for about 10 years. And the CEO of the company and I would have a call every three or four months just to touch base, one-on-one -on -one call. I'm telling him about the New York life experience, even though I didn't bring it up. He asked about the book. And I told him about what I just said to you, you and your viewers about the, uh, the presentations. And he says, Fred, I want you to talk to our agents. And he set up a Zoom call through his staff for 6,000 insurance agents. I, I did a presentation talking about my books <laughs> to a secular group of 6,000 insurance agents. Now, I also, in that conversation, I tied in what it's like to be a director of the insurance company. It was marvelous that, that I was able to do that, and they supported that. This is great because you have both areas of expertise. You have obvious expertise as an executive, you know, president of a major corporation, and you also have the faith walk that is road tested as well. Let me ask this. What do you think is going on right now in the world such that there is such an interest in hearing about that combination of faith and business? Well, there's a lot going on in the world right now, and there's a lot of divisiveness in the United States. And I think, at least in the circles I, I hang around with and talk to and interact with, um, you know, people are coming to faith as a solution, as an answer to the crisis they're in. My second book, which was called Grace Revealed, was about 20 people who were in severe crises of one form or another suicidal, uh, sexual abuse, depression, addiction, you name it. And the only way they survived it was by crying out to the Lord, realizing God's grace. And then all of them, all of them that made the book, I had about 60 stories, but I ended up using 20 because the book was getting too long, 19 or 20. And all of them went through that same pattern, significant crisis of one form or another, re-cry out to the Lord, realize God's grace, and then they went into Christian service, and serious Christian service. Some of them went to divinity school. Some of them, you know, did other things, ministered to people who were experiencing the same kind of crisis they had experienced. Sometimes it takes difficulties and challenges and crises to really turn to God, and more and more people are doing that right now because of the issues that we face. You know, the pandemic has been, you know, a good example of how people have lost so many loved ones to the pandemic. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm thinking about the Bible verse in Corinthians where it talks about, you know, we are able to comfort others because of the comfort that we have received ourselves from God. And so in a lot of ways, these people who are going through the crises the crisis isn't wasted. God uses those experiences so that they can encourage someone else on the pathway so that that person doesn't have to commit suicide or come to a decision that would be horrific in some way, that they can see the light 
that's beyond the challenge of today. And when I think about your career, I see that you have also walked through a particular journey. And then for you to be able to share that with other people, it gives them a pathway. It gives them hope for what's possible for them. So I'm thinking about the role that you have now where you're mentoring so many people. You're talking about being on a board. You talked about these places where you're speaking you know, to insurance executives. And then there are certain business leaders that you're also specifically individually mentoring. So talk a little bit about that because that is part of the giving back. That's a part of the paying forward and developing the next generation. My passion going back as far as I can remember, really, even when I went into teaching coming out of college, was to to really impact the lives of others, particularly at that time, it was younger people. I was teaching junior high school during the Vietnam era, and it, it was younger people. But throughout my life, I've been mentoring other executives at my company and and at other companies. And it wasn't like a a money-making venture for me. I didn't charge them anything. I really felt I wanted to contribute to their success and to their happiness. So that's been a passion throughout, throughout my lifetime. It's just a natural extension of that. What, what came out of the Divinity School experience. And writing of books was something I initially didn't intend to do, but then I realized, you know, I'm going to be able to have interviews like I'm having with you. I'm going to be able to speak. I didn't realize at the time I'd be able to speak to secular companies about my faith. I didn't realize at the time that, you know, I, I'd write the books and, and write articles and get TV appearances. That can impact a lot of people. My second book, Grace Revealed, one of the guys who was a subject in the book bought, like he insisted on buying from me 150 copies of the book. And he said, I'm going to become your marketing guy in Florida. And, and one of the most wonderful things that happened as a result of that was he sent me, he did a prison ministry in Florida and he, using my book, and he sent me a note. He sent me three emails he forwarded to me from three people who said, this book saved my life. I mean, that alone made it worth writing the book if, if it saved the lives of three people. That's profound. That's amazing because you're having an impact in so many spheres that you wouldn't have even thought of on your own. Other people hear what you have to say and they see the application to a wider array of people and different populations, including the prison population. And the Christian life is all about saving lives one way or another. You know what I'm saying? And so if you have saved some lives, of people who are in prison, that is a tremendous contribution. And some people probably going in a direction where they can contribute better to society on the back end of this experience for them as well. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But but like I say, to me, it was worth it. I never wrote these books to make money. You know, I give the profit from the books to charities, but it's all about impacting people's lives. And the more books I can sell, the more I can impact people's lives, certainly. I don't measure it by the number of books I sold. (laughs) No, because the standard of measure is actually much more profound in many ways, because how valuable is a life? That's priceless, right? And if one life is redeemed, it's worth all the effort 
that's spent in writing any of the books that you've written. So I think that's amazing. I want to turn back to your children. I know I talked about your children a little bit in our first interview, but your children and your grandchildren, when you think about them, because you think about legacy and there's certainly the people at work, um, New York Life, who you worked with before, they're people you're working with now. Now you're spreading out even beyond just the normal work environment, like prison ministry and everything else. And going back to your own family and your children and grandchildren, what would you say, how have they and how are they benefiting from your work and from your intentional life? How are you passing the leadership legacy to even the next generation in your own family? First of all, let me just tell you about my family. My wife and I uh, were both told we would never have children. And we were tested separately, told we would never have children. It's a story of my first book. So we adopted two Korean orphans, my oldest daughters, when they were young. They weren't siblings. They are now, obviously, but they weren't siblings, uh, biological siblings. And we adopted them when they were nine months old and five months old. Then we adopted a third special needs child who was Caucasian here in the U.S. And uh, after 16 years of marriage, along came the miracle of a natural born boy, which was truly a miracle, uh, Zachary. And 18 months later, along came the miracle of a second natural born boy, <laughs> Corey. That alone sends a message to the family about my faith. And um, we attribute, the, we tell them all the time, the two boys are miracle boys, but the girls are miracles as well. Uh, because without the delayed fertility, we would have never adopted them. So it was all in God's perfect timing. And one of my adopted daughters has now adopted three children from Korea herself. Two of them have not actually come home to the States yet. They're going in about two weeks to Korea, and they're twins, biological twins. So, you know, it's that, it's the books I've written, it's the faith they see in me that really is the legacy. I think the books are a legacy. My, one of my daughters has written a book on prayer. It hasn't been published yet, but she's written a book of her own. One of my sons is very, very faithful and heavily involved in his church. So, they're not all in the same spot. The five kids are all different, and but they understand our faith, my faith. They're believers, and you know, over time they'll they'll mature in their journey. You know, I really love this because you are passing the baton to them, and you share sort of a history with a lot of powerful biblical characters. You know, think about Abraham and Sarah having a child late in life, so to speak, after waiting a long time. I think about Zechariah and Elizabeth, and there's so many, if you will. And because of that, that pause, God gets to do some other things. Like you said, the children you've adopted, you wouldn't have adopted them had there not been that pause. And then he still blessed you with additional children as well. I think that's just, just beautiful how your children are following your lead in terms of their own faith journey and walk, writing books and so on. You have modeled what it means to give to others and to give back to others, to live a life of significance. And that's what I'm hearing you say that in their own way, they're figuring out how to do that. It's a good, good way to put it. And it, you know, 
they all mature at different stages and go through their own issues and problems. But, you know, ultimately they come to the Lord. Yeah, and that's that's a beautiful thing, you know, as a parent to be able to see that and to be able to watch that process happen. Although I'm sure there's some dicey moments along the way. <laughs> so, yeah, for all of us. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, knowing what you know now, what would you do differently in your career and life? Wow, um, I don't know. You know, every aspect of my life has been. You know, there've been challenges. There've been difficult times. But in every aspect of my life, I, I really felt fulfilled, uh, even when I was a junior high school math teacher. You know, I, like I said, my passion was to impact lives of others. And I felt like I was really impacting lives of others. Uh, not everybody needs to become the president of a Fortune 100 company. I mean, there's, a, there's always a role for support people. And, you know, you really need to follow your passions and use your skills. And that's what I think I've done throughout my career. And, and as a result, you know, I've always been very happy, very fulfilled. You know, I feel that way today. So it, I'm not sure there's much I do differently. I mean, I think the path has just been a wonderful one. I'm now 14 years retired, and I'm as energized as ever. And, you know, I'm following my calling, and you can't help but be happy when you're following your calling. So let's talk about that a little bit, too, because in this season of your life and following your calling, writing the books is a big part of it. Speaking to different audiences is a big part of it. In other words, the teacher in you that was realized early in your life is still teaching. The mentor in you is still mentoring as you go along. When you think about all of this, what are the additional contributions that you want to make before you leave the planet, if you will, what additional contributions <laughs> do you even see God calling you to in this retired season? Well, I want to continue what I'm doing. I don't know if that means writing yet another book. I don't know. You know, I'll rely on the guidance of the Holy Spirit in that regard. But, you know, social media is a big vehicle for impacting a lot of people. And I'm seeing that the other day I went through my LinkedIn account and I hadn't for quite a while, I hadn't looked at some of the messages there because I'd just been too busy with the book. And I realized, you know, I was telling my wife yesterday, I probably had 50 messages on LinkedIn that I regret that I didn't answer immediately because there were people in crisis coming to me asking for prayers. So I went through, I spent a whole day responding to those 50 messages and assuring them they're now on my daily prayer list. And many of them immediately respond how grateful they are that people are reaching out in prayer to, for them. And, you know, there's so many people in need. And this was on LinkedIn. I mean, this wasn't Facebook. Now, LinkedIn is known more for, you know, job hunting and things like that. <laughs> And, and, you know, these people, when they heard about my books and, and they heard about my retirement life, they want to talk to me. You know, I do have people working for me, but I like to personally answer a lot of those emails that I get. And, you know, so I'm, I'm going to continue to work social media for sure. 
The question is, where do I go with the book writing? I'm, I'm not sure. It's, it's difficult to write books and get them published and, <laughs> and go through that whole process. But I've learned a lot having gone through it three times now and actually a fourth time because we did a workbook for the, uh, the most recent book. Yeah, I'm praying about that in the future. I feel young. I feel like I got a lot of time left on the planet, <laughs> but, but if God calls me sooner, calls me home, that's, that's fine as well. That's the best way to live. <laughs> you know, ready. <laughs> I kind of think of the, the tennis player standing in the back, you know, of the court and ready for the ball, no matter where it lands, the ball goes <laughs> to the right, the ball goes to the left. I'm ready to beat it. You know, yeah, it's kind of right. like what I'm hearing in that sense. But, you know, I think the story you just told about praying for people on LinkedIn, and that takes me back to what you shared in the first segment where you were talking about the intercessory prayer you did every morning for many people. And so it's just manifesting in a different format, in a different way. And the social media allows you to see the need, the great need that's out there. And it allows people to reach out and touch you who otherwise might not have access to you, might not even meet you or get to know you, yet they can benefit from your intercessory prayer on their behalf. So that is a powerful and strong ministry right there. Well, there's something I thought of as you were talking, mm -hmm. uh, particularly if you have uh, people in ministry watching or listening to this show. One of the things that was really a remarkable experience for me was after I wrote my first book, my own church had a men's group and they asked me to speak to the men's group. And what they said, what the leader of that group said to me was, you know, this men's group is becoming nothing but a social event and we don't do enough spiritual discussion and sharing. They asked me to try and trigger spiritual sharing. And so, <laughs> so we designed this whole event that was at a restaurant and there was a meal with three, you know, salad and an entree and a dessert. And I got up and spoke before the salad was served and before the entree was served and before the dessert was served. And I encouraged people, I gave them a question at the end of my brief remarks at the end of each of those three presentations. And I asked them, they were seated in tables of eight and there were about eight tables. And I said, share among your group the answer to my questions. And I started out with something really simple, which was, and this was a bedroom community outside of New York City. The simple uh, question that for the first segment was, what have you done to balance your faith, family, and career? Because I told them about my techniques. And so that was an easy way to share, and there was a lot of engagement. The second one, I told a story about my seeing God's presence in the human body when I witnessed a quadruple bypass surgery up close. And I said, you know, tell me in your group, share about when you experienced God's creation. And that got deeper. And I told them, don't worry about crying. It's okay to cry. Okay. Because a lot of men, you know, they don't, they don't want to get emotional and they will when they start talking about these kinds of things. And then there was a third segment that was about realizing an experience that could not have been a coincidence. It had to be providential. And I asked them to share about that. Now, the reason I'm bringing all this up is one of the great moments in my post-retirement career 
was that night I got an email from a guy in that group who said to me, Fred, I sat at a table with guys I've known for 15 years, and I didn't really know them until tonight. And I tell that story to ministers, and since that happened, I've done that same kind of presentation to over 15 churches where they said, we need to do that because our groups are becoming social groups and we need to do some spiritual sharing. And that, that really was a very powerful experience. And it sort of kicked off my retirement pursuits because I had just written that first book. You know, this is really powerful because what I'm seeing is the pathway of the Yale Divinity School experience, meaning you were already in ministry before you got to Yale. Okay, we know that. And God has already prepared and equipped you, but he's given you additional preparation, additional equipping, because now the ministry is spreading deeper, and it also has wider tentacles touching, again, different groups and so on. And that whole notion that you mentioned earlier about the spiritual sharing, that's come up several times. You are facilitating people being able to do this deeper level spiritual sharing so that they grow, so that they develop and they come to know God at a profound level. And so your books, all of this, that's all part of the ministry that you're in at the moment. Yeah. And you know, another thought just came to mind. You know, we talked about the divisiveness in the country. And another experience I had was really profound. And that is, I spoke twice, well, more than twice, but over a seven-day period, I gave a presentation to the students at Hillsdale College in Michigan, which is one of the most conservative, if not the most conservative institution in the country. And I spoke a week later to my alma mater, Amherst College, which is probably one of the most liberal colleges in the country. And I gave the same exact presentation, okay? And it was very well received. And I think the point is faith reaches across the political spectrum. It doesn't matter where you are politically. We all have issues and problems and concerns that can be solved through our faith and through reliance on the Holy Spirit. I love that comment because, you know, with all the divides, we need to look for things that can reach across the aisle and for you to say faith. And what I would say is love, because really when you think about God as love and God across all of these aisles as well, the deeper aspect of faith is really all about love. And you said it applied to the conservative group. It applied to the liberal group as well. That's a profound insight. I think we have healing work to do, no matter what chair we're in. And there's a salve, there's a balm, if you will, that we are bringing, which is needed and which is effective. That's really what I'm hearing in this. Let's talk more, Fred, about your books, because the first book, I want to hear more about the first book, because it's God Revealed, Revisit Your Past to Enrich Your Future. What does that mean, Revisit Your Past to Enrich Your Future? Well, the genesis of that book was uh, I went to di dinner with my daughter, Dean, and her husband, Doug, and I had already graduated. I had not yet graduated from Yale, but I was retired. 
And we had this great dinner where I was telling them all these stories about experiences I had at New York Life and elsewhere. Not all of them faith-based, but many of them faith-based. And Dina said to me, Dad, at the end of the dinner, you know, they were really captivated by it. It kind of surprised me. And at the end of the dinner, Dina says to me, Dad, you know, you've probably told those stories to thousands of New York Life agents and employees. Many of them you haven't even told to your own family. And she said, you, you really should memorialize them in writing for the family. And that hit me pretty hard because it was true. And, you know, I hadn't told a lot of them to, to the family. And so that's when I started writing that book and writing those stories. It ended up being all about faith-based experiences, my encounters with God over the course of my life. The reason I came up with the subtitle, Revisit Your Past to Enrich Your Future, because I thought about the process I went through as I was writing that book. What I did is I kind of rewound the tapes of my life. I went back and thought through my life about times when maybe God was involved in something that happened to me that changed my life in a way that I didn't realize God was involved. And so that's why I said to people, I didn't want the book to be like memoirs. I wanted the book to be something that triggered thoughts among the readers. So there are reflection questions in there. I encourage people to think about their own past. And maybe in hindsight, they realize God was in this event. And if you were to go on Amazon, there's, I don't know, 120 reviews or something like that on Amazon. If you went on Amazon and read some of the reviews, many of them will say that was the value of the book. The value was me thinking about my past and realizing how God has influenced my future and my life today. And so that, that was the first book. And, you know, I think it impacted a lot of people's lives because, who you know, my, my agent said to me, nobody will, you know, people will read the memoirs of the president of the United States. They won't read the memoirs of the president of New York life. And I said, yeah, okay, I get it. And that's what led to, you know, this subtitle and the focus on those kinds of questions and the reflection questions. I think that's important because I know the book that I wrote, which is called Lead Yourself First, that's the format of it. I kind of share stories from my own life and leadership and different jobs and positions and where I was, experiences, but the intention and the reflection questions is to get each leader to think about what are the stories of your own life that inform how you lead today and that you can think more deeply about to actually take it to the next level. Because we sometimes miss the gold mine that's been in our life experience and leveraging that and using that gold mine that has been given to us. So I think you're right. And that's what people have said, didn't mark up those books and didn't answer those questions, but it would be about them. Even though I'm sharing something about my life, that's not what they care about. Exactly. They care about is their own life. Exactly. And that's how my book was read. And I, I, I love the fact that people were reflecting like that. That's a tremendous contribution whenever we can, you know, inspire other people to reflect in a way that deepens their own journey and takes them to the next level on the path that they're on. So, so Fred, tell us even a little bit more about both of those books, as we talked a little bit more about your third book in the first segment, tell us a little bit more about what some of the key takeaways are for the reader in these two books. You know, I talked about the first book, the, the second book, Grace Revealed. The, the genesis of that was, after writing the first book, I did 
a lot of speaking engagements, not just radio and TV, but in-person speaking engagements. That was before the pandemic. I spoke to a lot of small groups. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, that men's group in, in Connecticut, but a lot of groups like that, a lot of Bible classes, uh, study groups, book clubs. And in telling my stories from the first book, it gave them permission to tell me their stories. And I was hearing these really incredible stories. And I thought to myself, I've got to write another book because there's just so many incredible stories about these people who were in crisis and then turned to the Lord and then realized God's grace and went on to Christian service. So that was the genesis of that book and those stories. So what people take away from it is each chapter, each chapter, there's a chapter on sexual abuse, sexual or emotional abuse. There's a chapter on addictions. There's a chapter on uh, loss of loved ones. You know, there's, there's seven or eight chapters like that where there's two or three stories in each chapter, uh, real life stories about people who were saved from these crises and recovered from them. And what I decided to do in that book was to hire a researcher so that at the beginning of each chapter, like the one on sexual abuse, the researcher did, did research on the prevalence of sexual abuse among children in particular, but not just children. And I did that because I wanted the reader to, to realize they're not alone. You're not alone. This is very prevalent. And the sexual abuse was the most prevalent. I mean, I could have written two or three books on just with stories on that. I mean, the, the estimates were, you know, 25% of adults, not just females, but of adults were sexually abused as children. I mean, that's incredible. And then if you carve out the men, you know, the, the women, it's even, it's even a higher percentage. And I'll tell you a quick story is that when I wrote that book, my church asked me to have a book signing. Yeah, between two services. And they offered the book up to people and they said, you know, we'd ask you to make a donation of $10. I gave them the books and they said, if you make a donation of $10, uh, you know, Fred will sign one of his books. So I'm going off to, to church in the morning and I look at my wallet, all I've got is $20 bills. And I thought, uh-oh, you know, not everybody's going to have $10 bills. So I decided to go to an ATM machine that, that I knew allowed you to take different denominations. Couldn't find one. I mean, even the one that allowed it, they ran out of fives and tens. All they had was 20. So I, then I'm driving by a big department store that was open on Sunday. It was like a Walmart, but it wasn't a Walmart. And I thought, I'll go in there and I'll buy something and I'll get a bunch of tens and change. Then I, when I walked in, I decided, no, I'll go to, I'll go to the service desk. So I go to the service desk. There's a woman who's in her late 30s, early 40s. And I explained to her, I said, look, I'm going to church. People are going to be paying $10 to buy my book or get my book. And I said, I, I really need to get some tents. Can you give me 20 tents? She looks at me and she says, well, tell me about your book. So I told her what I just told you about the sexual abuse chapter. She starts to cry. And she says, I need to read that book because it happened to me. <laughs> I mean, what are the chances, right? 
And, and so I went out in my car and I got a book and gave her a book. I have had that experience dozens of times. Mm. And that, that's how prevalent people in crisis, not just secular, sexual, but think about addiction. You know, think about depression and suicidal tendencies. I mean, people need the Lord. You know, that experience, that encounter is what I refer to as a divine appointment. And when we are out and about in our lives, God sends us to places for those divine appointments. There's a life that we're supposed to impact that day. Somebody who is supposed to be touched, who will get to see God through us, who will get to see hope through us, get to see love through us. And so that woman, it's, there was a reason the ATM didn't work. You were supposed yes. to meet her. You know? Exactly. It wasn't a coincidence. Yeah. Exactly. That's how I see things. And so I see your life as just being divinely led on so many fronts in terms of the stories and things that you've been sharing and that you've been talking about. And really both of the segments um, where you've been sharing with me. So Fred, how can people get your books? How can they reach you? Let's tell them about that again. Yeah. Well, I'm on social media, Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm on all those accounts. And you can find me just by Googling my name, I think. My, but my website, uh, you can buy the books on the website. It's called, the website is storiesofgodsgrace.com. No dashes, dots, or apostrophes. All one word, storiesofgodsgrace.com. Also available on all the major retail online sites. Uh, some bookstores have got them, but, uh, you know, you'd have to probably search for that or ask for it. But mainly it's the website or social media sites. And the workbook is available, too. And the workbook, I really, all my books are on all those sites. But the workbook for the Fast Starting Your Career of Consequence book was really written and designed. It's shorter. There's room to take notes. There's room to track your progress in implementing these tips that I give them. So someone who's really serious about moving forward probably wants to get the workbook. In fact, you could probably buy the workbook without buying the source book because there's enough detail in there that gives you the, the, the gist of what you need to do. Thank you. And, and know for sure that the website will also be in the show notes so people can also see it in that format as well. So in both of these segments, you've shared a lot of wisdom with the audience. So what words of wisdom do you want to leave in addition, and particularly for other ministry marketplace leaders about being intentional now, even if they're younger in the workplace, being intentional now about the legacy that they're creating and also that they're leaving? I think as I think about that question, the point I made about spiritual sharing I think is critically important. And I've seen it myself through my own experiences. And so many, like I said, so many ministers came to me and said, we need to do that. We need to have that discussion. And it's not just men's groups, obviously, it's women's groups as well, or, you know, uh, intergender inter groups. But that, that I think is probably the most important thing is to get your your people to share their faith, share their experiences, to move them along the path of discipleship. 
I mean, I, I think that's critically important. And you have to be in, like you say, you use the word intentional. I, I think you really have to be intentional about that. Is, you know, pe people, you know, I've, see, I've seen a lot, I've read a lot of books and I've seen a lot of diagrams about how you do that. But I think, I think it just means you, you really move along from your early stages of your faith through Bible study, through daily prayer, through interactions with others in your church and other faithful people to a much deeper relationship with Christ. And the more you can intentionally move people in that direction, I think the better off all of them will be and, and your church will thrive because others will want will, will gravitate to it. Yes, I think that deep sharing that you're talking about is really designed to connect people at a deeper level, not only to God, but to each other and to themselves. And in, it sort of enlightens the path for what's next for them. And so it's such profound work that you're doing. So thank you, Fred, for, how would I say, continuing to add value even in retirement. And thank you for being with me for two different shows and sharing your journey uh, with me and also with my audience. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. I enjoy the, the discussion and having a chance to speak to your audience. I really appreciate it. And so what I would share with my um, Voice of Leadership and Dr. Karen Speaks Leadership audiences is this. When God has gifted you and he's placed you in the places where he's placed you, it's really important to remember that you're there, not for yourself. You're there for other people. And he's resourced you to be that light, to be that blessing, to be that intercessor, and to be the one who sometimes represents the face of God to someone that day. So today, my guest, Fred Seaford, gave some great examples about how he's doing that in his life. And retirement is a very dynamic place to be. You're still contributing to God's kingdom and to God's work, even in retirement. So until we leave the planet, there's still work for us to do that is profound and that is important. There are those divine appointments out there just waiting for you to show up and participate in. So as we close the show today, I want to share a Bible verse that comes from Proverbs, the 13th chapter and verse 22. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. And I think we've seen today that my guest Fred Sievert and also you out there listening, you can leave a powerful inheritance for your children and your family, for the children that you're mentoring and developing in the workplace, meaning the next generation of people coming along behind you. So be intentional, leave that powerful leadership legacy. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan 
for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening, and remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.